This is the Six Gun Justice Podcast with wordslingers Paul Bishop and Richard Brosh. Welcome to episode one of the Six Gun Justice Podcast. I'm Paul Bishop, and writing with me is my co-host, Richard Prosh. Hey, gang. We hope you're ready as we are to saddle up and ride deep into the Western genre. We are calling this first episode West of the Imagination. So West of the Imagination is a term we're applying to that Wild West mix of legend, tall tales, fast guns, and faster horses. It's where all the excitement and action of the Western comes together and where Western heroes and villains we love to read about and watch hang out. Last month, we produced a preview of the Six Gun Justice podcast, which we dubbed Episode Zero. It was a test run where we introduced ourselves and talked about our favorite Western authors, books, and TV shows and movies. It's available on our podcast queue for those who are interested, but remember, it was a shakedown episode designed to help us learn about producing a podcast, and it's a bit rough around the edges. We gained a lot of technical knowledge regarding dealing with audio drift, other podcasting pitfalls, Most of all, we had a lot of fun and we're excited to begin our official episodes. It may sound like we are both in the same hollow cavern, but in actuality, Rich is in in Missouri, and I'm doing uh, my recording from Southern California. Fortunately, we both get to do some traveling for a variety of reasons, but one thing is consistent. We are always looking to find the best used bookstores wherever we go. means we both have more Westerns on our shelves than we'll ever be able to read. That's for sure. You know, I like finding books in the wild. We can sit down with a books or eBay, various internet uh, sources and order books where basically find whatever we want. But I, I still like to find them in old bookstores and antique malls. I took a trip last week into Springfield, Missouri, where I visited a store called Half Price Books. Now, to be clear, this store opened in 1985 under that name, but it is not affiliated with the Half Price Bookstore chain that you might find in other cities. The current owners bought the store in 2002 and Paul and I'm sorry to say they are in the process of retiring. It's a it's a decent sized store too, with three rooms packed with paperbacks, several hardcover collectible shelves, uh, some nice history and textbook sections covered in dust as they often are. Not a great men's adventure section, but better than some. And six floor to ceiling shelves for westerns. Oh my goodness, Nirvana! It really was. The bad news first: the western section, big as it was, was picked over a bit. There was an extensive collection of long arm and trailsman books still available. Good news is I did find a couple dozen clearance books for a dollar a piece. So when you can find the books we're looking for for a buck a piece, you've struck gold. And finding the the long arm and trailsman books, I think they proliferate in most of the used bookstores that I visit. And along with the Gunsmith series, those books must have sold a ton for them to be that wildly available in used bookstores. The phenomenon of the adult Western series uh, is something we may talk talk about on another episode. Agreed. So did, you talk, did you talk to the owners about the Western section? I did. I, I kind of casually asked about the Western genre customers. He assured me they did a fairly robust business with Westerns, though he did admit the youngest customers were middle-aged men. And he laughed. And then he, this is something interesting. He said that his youngest customers in the bookstore period were middle-aged folks. So there's that. Well, that's a uh... I think a fact of life, but I do believe that there are younger fans out there. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing the podcast is we not only want to reach and interact with that middle-aged audience, but we want to bring in new fans uh, to this uh, genre, which we love so much. What did you find there that uh, you ended up bringing home? I found some Louis L'Amour's, a couple by T.V. Olson, 
on Archie Joslin, a Ray Hogan. Found a 1961 Pocket Books edition of the Comancheros with a John Wayne movie tie-in cover. A Chet Cunningham Jim Steele title, number six, Aztec Gold. Oh, those are few and far between. Yeah. Paul, I also found two books from a 1990 series from Berkeley that I'd never seen before called Fury by Jim Austin. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, is it about six books in the series total? And Jim Austin was yes. a house name for our buddy James Reasoner? That's right. Fury uh, is sort of a wandering knight errant character who just he travels around the West and helps folks in need. And it was written by our friend James Reasoner, who collaborated on the series with his wife, L.J. Washburn, also a fantastic writer in her own right. I asked James about the series. He said it was really fun to write. For those of our listeners who are uh, unaware of James Reasoner, Guy is just not only a nice guy, but he's a phenomenal writer. I think for the last 10 years, he's produced a million words a year, which is just unfathomable to me. I don't know that there is a series anywhere uh, in the history of uh, Westerns that James hasn't contributed to. I'm being a little facetious, of course, but he is the uh, the name behind many, many pseudonyms in many, many series. And he's always, always a solid writer. He always uh, never phones it in. He always That's produces right. good work. That's right. And he does have a few series out there under his own name. We've reviewed one of his Redemption Kansas titles on the website. So, you know, you can check that out over at uh, our flagship website, which is www.sixgunjustice.com. You'll find a lot of reviews of uh, many novels, uh, interviews with authors, and many other things that you will probably find of interest if you're a Western fan. So what about you, Paul? Have you had any luck in the wild lately? I won't start regularly hitting the road until March, but I did uh, find a good condition copy in a local used bookstore of The Cowboy and the Cossack by Claire Huffaker. The book and the author were planning to discuss on today's episode. Now, I know you've already got copies of that book. How many, how many copies do you have on your shelf? Three. So did you did you go ahead and buy the copy you found? In the used bookstore? Of course yeah. I did. What kind yeah, of yeah. heinous blackguard <laughs> do you think I am? You can't leave a book like The Cowboy and the Cossack behind. It's my favorite book to give to people who say they don't read Westerns um, or to Western fans who have yet to experience the joys of a cowboy cattle drive on the Siberian Trail. So I'm always going to buy that book. I sure you have a lot of Louis L'Amours on yourself already, but you just said that you bought some more Louis L'Amours. That's, uh, that's probably right. because different covers, right? That's right. The Comancheros, I've got that on the shelf, and I had to buy it for that John Wayne covers. So tell us about The Cowboy and the Cossack. I, I don't actually know a lot about that book. Well, I'm ashamed of you then, because you should know it. You're so knowledgeable in the Western genre, and I'm surprised you haven't read this, so I will be putting a copy in the mail to you immediately. If I could only choose one Western novel to recommend, it would be The Cowboy and the Cossack. It's it's uh, the traditional cattle drive story, but it's given a refreshing twist. What we have is uh, 50 Montana cowboys uh, sail into Vladivostok, Russia, with a herd of 500 longhorns that they have been contracted to drive to Siberia. They are fired up to drive their herd across thousands of miles of Siberian wilderness, but they, they run into Russian bureaucracy right there in the uh, harbor, and they are not allowed to dock, which means they can't get their cattle onto land, or can they? And the answer to that results in one of the most dynamic opening scenes of any Western I've ever read. 
When you take 500 herd of cattle and you drive them off a ship into the water and make them swim to land with all the cowboys riding their horses in the water, some who can't swim, and you have an exciting opening. The deal, though, that goes beyond that is uh, when they do get to dry land, they find a band of Cossacks waiting for them. These are the Russia's elite horsemen and warriors. And they're ready to take over the cattle and send the cowboys on their way, but the cowboys uh, have different ideas. They've been signed on to take the cattle to Siberia, and that's what they're going to do. So you have this culture clash quickly between the American six-shooters and the Russian sabers, and you have two leaders of the groups. You have Shad, who's the leader of the Montana Cowboys, and Rostov, the Cossack commander. These guys come into tight focus, as seen by the narrator. Now, this was a really interesting choice for Huffaker. He tells the story through the eyes of a 15-year-old naive cowboy who's never been off the range in Montana. His hero is Shad, the, the leader of the cowboys, and he begins to see the wider world as Shad interacts with uh, Rostov, the Cossack, especially when these two are forced to join forces against what is essentially Apache Indians, which is the Russian Tartar army, which fills in that role. So again, it's really a traditional cattle drive story with everything that you would expect, but it's just really given this fresh twist and this insight into uh, the human beings that are part of this. And, and I just love the story. And I think you'll find that most Western fans who've read it will list it at least in their top three favorite novels. Huffaker himself was a legendary Western novelist and screenwriter. He wrote screenplays, including The Camancheros, which you just uh, picked up a copy of the tie-in movie version for that. Um, he wrote Hellfighters, uh, The War Wagon, which starred John Wayne. Uh, his first novel, Flaming Lance, became the basis for the Elvis Presley film, Flaming Star. He also wrote for TV westerns such as Bonanza, The Rifleman, Rawhide, The Lawman, and many others. He was a uh, champion boxer, served in the Navy, and his home in Los Angeles became a gathering place for actors, stuntmen, and directors, all of whom could be found there regularly shooting pool, playing poker, and exchanging tall tales. Daughter wrote an intro to, or an introduction to one of the most recent editions of The Cowboy and the Cossack, and I loved one of the things that she said, quote, as I stumbled into middle age, my father's ability to touch people was opened up to me in a dramatic and unexpected way. I found myself reading reviews from readers from all over the world, families in Russia who considered their page-worn copy of The Cowboy and the Cossack a family treasure, a wife who read the book aloud to her husband when he was ill and bedridden, an American soldier who brought me to tears when I read how The Cowboy and the Cossack was his favorite novel and the very first thing he put into his backpack each time he left for duty. I mean, wow. I think that says a lot. Paul, let me ask you, other other titles of, like you just mentioned by Huffaker, were made into movies including, you mentioned War Wagon, one of my favorites. So there is no Cowboy in the Cossack movie. Why is that? You know, it's arguably the best and most popular of his novels. At one time, producer Lance Houle held the movie rights. He famously attempted to get the film made with uh, Clint Eastwood and Charles Bronson in the title roles, which have just been amazing. Epic casting. Uh, later, Albert Broccoli, the co-producer of the James Bond films, acquired the rights, but his efforts also starled in development hell. And since then, the rights of the Cowboy and the Cossack have been twisted into this Gordian knot where nobody has yet found a way to unravel it. It's a travesty, but nobody can secure the actual rights. It's, it's unclear who they stand with this time, but I guarantee you, if it ever gets cleared up, that's going to be a great movie. You know, that, that kind of the situation with rights and stuff kind of plagued Huffaker before. I mentioned War Wagon, which is based on a 1957 book he wrote called Bad Man. Huffaker claims he wrote that book in 10 days, 
And in September of 1962, he said he would adapt the novel into a script at Producer's Studio for his own Lucifer production. So he had a hand in his own production company of some kind there. Spent three months on the script. Think of that versus 10 days on the novel. But eventually that didn't happen either. And and eventually the project ended up at Universal, as you said, with John Wayne and Kirk Douglas. And it wasn't a bad film. It wasn't a great film, but it was it was better than average. I enjoyed it. What are you reviewing for us this week, Rich? Uh, today I've got a book I'm looking at from a fellow named Michael R. Ritt. He's a, he's a short story writer. I've I've read several of his short stories. I didn't know he was a novelist. Is the first uh, first novel? That's right. Uh, the first thing that I read again was a short story as well called "The Conversion of Bose Carter" in an anthology from High Hill Press. Since then, uh, he's continued to write. I was delighted to get my hands on the son of the sons of Philo Gaines from Five Star, and uh, it is his first novel. So I'd like to take a look at that. All right, go for it. Oh, but first of all, you got a, a review copy of this, right? I did uh, an ARC, an advanced so, review copy from Five Star. So my question is, why didn't I get a review copy? I feel <laughs> I feel slighted. <laughs> I'll pass this one along to you. It's it's worth passing along. I'll tell you that. There you here's, go. Here's the setup. So in the 1840s, Philo Gaines was a mountain man, a fur trapper, and an Indian fighter. A real rough-and-tumble guy, a a big man, larger than life, the kind of man who casts a long shadow that's hard to evade for the people associated with him, especially for three competent young sons in the post-Civil War West. So it's 1873, Philo's sons, Matt, the scholar, Luke, the gunman, and David, the gambler, go about their business on the frontier as anonymously as they can, sometimes using an alias to escape their father's name. But as you might guess, Paul, the hearty old adventurer's blood still churns in their veins, and they really didn't fall that far from the tree. Michael Ritt's story opens with Princeton graduate Matt accepting a teaching position in the wild Texas town of Mustang Flats. What Matt doesn't know is that his two new friends, siblings Tom and Katie McCutcheon, have been targeted by a land-hungry bad man named Amos Tolliver who wants their ranch. It's a setup that might seem like a typical Western trope, but Ritt adds a, a dark connection to the Gaines family and uses that opening not only to introduce the three brothers, but then to give each of them their own action-packed adventure. So it's a, a unique form of sort of three interlinked novellas that really kept the pages turning for me. When the inevitable reunion occurs between the three brothers, the readers know, know these men very well. I, I feel like you know them. That they're members of that you're a member of the family, and you can't help but root for your folks to win the day. It's fresh, clean writing with a deep sense of place that highlight each of the brothers' solo stories. You know, no mean feat for for a guy who lives in Montana, where Ritt does. He writes about Texas, he writes about the New Mexico Territory and Wyoming as if he lived there. It's really well done. Uh, maybe he's traveled to those places or just done his research, but there's some remarkable detail there. So does Philo himself ever show up? He does. It just kind of, uh, there's a, Ritt sneaks a cameo in. Old Philo Gaines is now a United States senator, and it's a it's a little piece of punctuation to the story that, that comes across really well in a, in a humorous way. There's a lot of action and adventure in this book, but there's also a lot of humor. Uh, I really like David the Gambler has sort of a subplot, sort of a Brett Maverick style subplot going concerning a feud uh, with a town bully named Ox that's that's just delightful. So a, a solid first novel. 
So how does he handle the, so you say they're like three linked novellas. Are they all told in third person or first person? How yes. does he handle the approach yes. to the book? Yes, three third person sections of the book. There's a section for each brother. And then at the end, they come together. And did you find that ran smoothly? It did. You didn't find it jarring? Okay. No, no, it, it came together really nice. The, I, I hope to see these characters again. I don't know for sure. I know there's a sequel that's coming out titled Trouble in the Brazos. Uh, I don't know any more about it. I, I kind of hope these characters show up again. Sounds like a great first novel, and I will expect my review copy in the mail sometime soon. Anyway, uh, before we go on any further, I think congratulations are in order to you for being elected president of the Western Fictioneers. What can you tell us about that? Well, uh, Western Fictioneers is a 10-year-old organization of professional Western authors, www.westernfictioneers.com. There is also a blog at uh, Blogspot. Western Fictioneers. We give out the annual Peacemaker Awards, which are recognition for best fiction writing in the Western genre in the year. We uh, educate and help each other, encourage each other through the blog posts. It's really a, it's a, it's a really informal place and a, a really fun fun organization to be a part of. I'm also a member and I'm looking forward to your, uh, your involvement as the president and the direction that you're going to take us in. For me, uh, this past week, I've read a new uh, a Mickey Spillane and Max Allen Collins entry into the Caleb York Western series. This one's called Hot Lead, Cold Justice. I think it's due out in a couple of months. The interesting thing with these books is, for me, Al Collins uh, is a, a really nice guy. I know him quite well. He is very well known for the Quarry series, which became a uh, series on television. And th- those are top-notch. Those are my favorite of his books. He also writes the uh, Nathan Heller Private Eye Stories, which have gotten, I think, every award there is from all writing organizations. Al Collins has written a ton of books. And the fact of the matter is, you can hear his voice in those books. But when he writes a Mickey Spillane novel, which uh, he has been made the curator of, of Mickey Spillane's literary heritage, uh, he and Spillane were good friends. So he has created books from uh, leftover fragments of story ideas, partially completed manuscripts, or just uh, simple ideas that Mickey had for stories. And when Max Allen Collins does that, he writes in Spillane's voice. He, he has the ability to leave his voice behind and write as Spillane. Would. And 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 this new book is is no exception. It's a typical Mickey Spillane hard boiled setup. You have a killer blizzard sweeping across the Southwest, threatening everybody in the uh, town of uh, Trinidad, where Sheriff Caleb York maintains the law. A couple of shots ring out, and York's deputy goes down. York realizes that this is a case of mistaken identity. He realizes the bullets were for him. He then sets out in typical Mickey Spillane style. Uh, for justice and vengeance. And what follows is that hard-driving, Mickey Splane style of novel, which I personally love. So I really enjoyed this book. It's the fourth one in the series, and I'm hoping to see more. And I'll, I'll expect my copy of that in the mail. Okay, then we'll trade. There you go. <laughs> what are you reading at the moment? I'm just finishing up Champagne Cowboys by Leo Banks. It's a sequel to last year's Spur Award-winning Double Wide by Banks. Oh, yeah. That was an amazing book and, and actually won two Spore Awards, right? For the it same did. novel. It won two Spore Awards. It won a True West uh, Award for Best Western Crime Novel. 
And uh, Champagne Cowboys, let me tell you, I'm just about done with it. I'll be giving a, a review next episode. Well, I won't, I won't say any more. Okay. I'll leave, in, I'll leave you in suspense. I'm in the middle of reading uh, an anthology uh, put out by uh, Ed Gorman and Martin Greenberg, edited by them uh, from 2004. This is called Texas Rangers. There's probably 20 stories in this uh, book from uh, all phases of Texas Ranger history, from early days to mid-century to current day. I haven't read a clanger yet. This is a really tight, well-written group of short stories, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and we'll be reviewing it on on the website uh, short. We'd like to give some shout outs as we uh, bring this episode to an end. We'd like to uh, mention, first of all, the Flagship Six Gun Justice podcast website, which is www.sixgunjustice.com and our email address, sixgunjusticewesterns at gmail.com. Please contact us there if you're interested in uh, some of the review copies that we have that we've read and reported on and you would like a copy of those, we'd be happy to send them out to you if you contact us as long as you agree that you do those authors a favor by reviewing them yourselves. Reviews really play a big part in getting the public notice to these novels. So that's always a help. And who else are we going to shoot out to? I'd like to shout out to Paperback Warrior Podcast. Tom and Eric do a bang up job over there. I think in the near future, we'll be doing a bit of a crossover with those guys. Uh, we haven't worked oh, yeah. out the details on that yet, but it'll it'll be it'll be fun and interesting, I think, for both sets of listeners, for both audiences. So a shout out to paperbackwarrior.com. Also, True West Magazine, one of the premier magazines that's out there that focuses on Western history, but also a, a Western fiction and Western books. Yeah, we'd also like to uh, say a big thank you to John Kilgallen for being our first Patreon subscriber. Yay! Thanks, John. So uh, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, please uh, visit our Patreon page and uh, look at the tiers of uh, subscriber membership, and we'd love to have you along for the ride. A last shout I'd like to give is to uh, the Owl Hoot DAPA, the Amateur Press APA. This is a little hard to explain in the internet age, but before the internet existed, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, fans of uh, mysteries or westerns or whatever genre it was uh, would actually produce physical newsletters. And an amateur press association uh, like DAPA-M was the mystery of so, uh, DAPA. You would uh, take your newsletter and you would make However many copies there were for the members in, in the organization, you'd send it to an editor. he put all the newsletters together and then send copies out to everybody. And we're talking about a real slow process by today's standards here. So every month you would get this app arrive in your uh, mailbox of all places, and you would read through things from a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> but the fun thing is... Alhut, uh, which is the Western APA, has been going now for, I don't know, 10 years or more, Rich. Do you know? I think so, yeah. Under the, the navigation of Captain Bob. Captain Bob Napier. It's still going. We're still part of it. And if anybody is interested in uh, finding out more about this and uh, participating in some old school fandom, give us a shout at the uh, Six on Justice email. We'd be happy to share that information with you. I think there's only like 15 or so hardcore uh, members still. So, so what do we got next episode, Paul? So next episode, uh, episode two of the Six Gun Justice podcast, we're going to have the Magnificent Seven taking on the Wild Bunch in a cage fight of epic proportions. All right. And the the occasional uh, book review or other tidbit that we'll just throw in. Absolutely. So we're looking forward to it. Please come on back. Let us know what you think of this episode. We've really 
enjoyed it. Good job. Adios until we meet again in two weeks. Be uh, kind to yourself, be kind to each other, and keep your powder dry. We're out of here. Let's ride. Join us in two weeks for another episode of the Six Gun Justice Podcast, sponsored by Wolfpack Publishing, bringing you the best of the West, including the Avenging Angels and Gunslinger series by A.W. Hart and many other best-selling Westerns, available on Amazon in ebook and paperback.